you see a movie about uh, a particular person and you're introduced, um, I'm going to show you a few people from movies in which um, they are painted in a very negative way to begin in the movie and then towards the end of the movie or in the next movie, you will see them painted in a different light, in a different way. So we start off with Loki. Anybody seen any of the Thor movies? This is the brother of Thor, your favorite hero. It does not surprise me, Linda. So, um, no. But Loki, it starts off very negatively, starts off uh, very um, just painted in a terrible light. And then you will see a different side of him as the movies go on. And you will see, you can even see how they portray them in different parts of the movie. So in one, he looks very evil. And the next one, of course, he's smiling like, yeah, you're my friend. But next one, Terminator. Anybody seen Terminator? The very first movie, he was, uh, Arnold played the ultimate bad guy. And, uh, and of course, by the second movie, all of a sudden this um, T-800 Model 101 uh, they all of a sudden he has uh, feelings or he has emotion. He's able to smile. It's just how they paint him in a different light to make him go from villain to hero. And then, of course, uh, the next one is one of my all-time favorite movies, uh, The Grinch. And uh, Jim Carrey did this movie great. And it's amazing the transformation that can take place when we see that in The Grinch as well. Uh, Harry Potter, Professor Snape. Uh, if you watch the Harry Potter movies, if you've read the books, you know that uh, in, in the beginning, he, he's thought of as the villain. You think he's the bad guy all throughout. When in the end, you find, and this is a spoiler, if you've not seen it and you want to, sorry. But um, he ends up being one that is trying to protect Harry Potter and, and try to um, help him in that situation. Next one, of course, is my favorite, uh, Darth Vader, right? And through three movies, he was evil, right? You know he was evil. He was bad. Um, he was trying to destroy the, the rebellion and all those good things. But then we know at the end of Return of the Jedi, another spoiler alert for you, he will be the one to, quote, unquote, bring balance to the force by destroying the emperor. So, uh, and you see him in this coming back to good and doing what's right. And then, of course, the last one is the, the one where I'm really heading, and it is Scrooge from A Christmas Carol. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, as they would describe Ebenezer. A quote at the beginning of the movie, he says, If I could work my will, every idiot who goes around with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. It's pretty brutal, right? And then towards the end of the movie, you, you know that um, he has a change of heart. And uh, he is quoted as saying, I don't know what to do. I am as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. And Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. So tonight we are going to be looking at Rahab. And as we look at Rahab, much like all of these characters from these movies, Rahab is going to be painted in 
the worst way, shape, or form of any introduction of anyone. Uh, as we see that um, in Joshua chapter 2, and, and that's really where we're going to be reading from tonight. So if you will turn to Joshua chapter 2. Right off the bat, when we are first introduced to Rahab, uh, it's probably one of the most unsavory characters imaginable. Verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly to Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went, and they came to a house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. So we know Rahab as Rahab the prostitute, Rahab the harlot. Uh, Charles Spurgeon says it like this. This woman was no mere hostess, but a real harlot. I am persuaded that nothing but a spirit of distaste for free, free grace would ever have led to any commentator to deny her sin. So... We're going to look at many scriptures tonight, uh, talking about Rahab, looking at who she was as a person, who her people were, and um, where she's coming from. But let's look, first of all, where we're at in the timetable. Of course, you know we have the creation, fall, flood, patriarchs, but we are right here after the exodus, uh, and we are going to be when Moses has uh, wandered around in the wilderness, um, because of the, the people's disobedience, in which we're about to read about. And it brings us to uh, Joshua and Caleb bringing the people back to um, the promised land. And they are about to go in and conquer the promised land. So, 40 years back from Rahab. Uh, turn back a little bit in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's backtrack just a little bit to get an idea of where we're headed. Because you will find God's people on the verge of conquering the promised land. God tells them to go in. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses is ready to lead them in. And he sends 12 spies to spy out the land. To see what's going on. To see how the people are. How the cities are. Uh, what type of fruit is there. Um, how well that is. And so Deuteronomy chapter 1 starting in verse 19. And all those verses right there that I have for you that are from Numbers. Uh, this verse sums it all up very well. That's why we're going to read this one. Starting in verse 19. Then we set out from Horeb. And we went through all the great and terrifying wildernesses that you saw. On the way to the hill country of the Amorites. As the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you. You have come to the hill country of the Amorites. Which the Lord our God is giving you. See the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up. Take possession. As the Lord your God of our fathers has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near to me and said. Let us send men before us that... Um, they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up in the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from every tribe, from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. 
And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us. And brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the, land, into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt. If you, ha- if you like to scribble in your Bible, underline, our brothers have made our hearts melt. Saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you, who, um, before you will himself fight for you. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you. As the man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. You went before, who went before you in the way to seek you out. A place to pitch your tents. And fire by night. And then the cloud by day to show you what way you should go. So Moses has died. An entire generation of Israelites who had come out of Egypt were all dead too. Because the nation collectively grumbled against the Lord. Because the nation collectively grumbled. And we're going through Exodus on Sundays. And you've heard over and over again how the people grumbled against the Lord. And they didn't believe him. You brought us out into the wilderness to kill us here. Why didn't you just let us die in Egypt? And here we see them coming to the promised land. And they grumbled. And here we see them coming back after 40 years to the promised land. And that is where we're at in this story. Uh, beside, so all of them are gone besides a few. Joshua and Caleb were going to lead these guys into the land. And as we just read, um, they secretly send two spies to spy out the land and to especially go to Jericho. Uh, I love this part because they don't want a whole bunch of people going and spying out. They said two. So back to Rahab. Rahab. Rahab lived in Jericho uh, in the time of Joshua. God's people have come to the edge of the promised land again. And the only thing separating them uh, from the land, a land that they were at 40 years before, is the Jordan River. And Joshua charges these two men to secretly to go and to spy out the land and see, uh, especially go to Jericho. So why secretly? Uh, He remembers what happened when they got 12 people together. He remembers what happened when 10 of them said, no, we shouldn't go. And two of them said, yes, we should. He remembers all of those things. So he doesn't want 12 people's opinion. He doesn't want everyone else's opinion. And even when he tells the two spies to come back, he says, you know, I want you to come back and to report to me. I don't want anyone else's opinion because he knows what happened the last time. And he's like, I don't want any part of that. So what do we know about Uh, Jericho. Jericho is a part of the Amorite kingdom. Um, The city had tall, fortified walls. Their cities were tall and powerful. Their men were very powerful, were very tall. And Rahab was a part of those people. 
They were a very idolatrous people. They worshipped many gods. They really, as the Bible says over and over, they loved to do whatever they wanted to do. So, And that brings us to Rahab's story. Rahab, right in the middle of Jericho, right in the middle of the Amorite people, uh, her people. And so let's look at her story. First of all, let's look at her character. Three times in Joshua, Rahab is referred to as a prostitute. She has a house on the wall, which probably meant uh, she made a lot of money. If you could have uh, such a great place on the wall or a great place for business, uh, she probably made a lot of money. She, she, they were a part of a pagan culture. Um, and this is going to play into uh, this house on the wall, this successful business that she has for her. It's kind of going to play into be the ideal situation for uh, the spies as they come in to spy out the land. So a few reasons why. No one would question a foreigner coming into Jericho. It was a, a very uh, well-visited city, a place of business. So there would be foreigners coming and going. No one would question, uh, especially in a pagan city, a pagan culture, no one would question uh, Two men going into the house of a prostitute. It's not something that would be out of question or questioned so much. It, her business would have been kept confidential. Um, so many times uh, in researching um, Rahab, uh, you, you almost, as we're talking about her as a hero, okay, so many times you almost have to remind yourself, okay, she was a prostitute. She was a harlot. And so her business was confidential. The guys knew that. They knew it was a place they could go spy out the land. Go and, and, have, uh, and spend some time there and no one would question it. And it's also on the wall. So it would have been a place that would have been an easy escape for the spies. Someone that, somewhere that if they needed to, they could get out quickly. They could escape quickly. And um, so they chose... Um, to seek um, sanctuary there in the, in the house of a harlot. So let's look at some, some of the, her other things. Let's look at, secondly, her works. Still in Joshua chapter 2, let's continue reading in verse 2. Because we're going to see Rahab take a stand against the king of Jericho. Verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the women had taken the two men, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. Uh, I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up on the roof and hid them from the, uh, with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So she lied. She lied to the king's representatives. Um, this is a successful business lady by a pagan um, Amorite standards. She was a successful business lady. 
who probably had a lot of money, who probably had a lot to lose by lying to the king's representatives. It was not in her best interest. Or was it? Uh, We're going to see that there is something else going on. So secondly, in her works, we're going to see that Rahab planned for their protection and escape. I can only imagine that this uh, protection plan, this escape plan that Rahab had for the Israelite men uh, may have been for other cheating husbands whose wives may have showed up at her door looking for their husbands and she had to have a plan in place to hide these men or a plan to uh, lower them down from the wall so that she doesn't get in any more trouble than she already was in. So... Uh, She had hiding places established. She had escape routes established. And so when it comes time to hide these two men, it was nothing more than another thought. Uh, She lied and she hid these men. Um, And I played this scenario over in my mind a little bit this week as I thought about it. Was it okay for Rahab to lie to protect the spies in order for them to get back to their people and for this attack to happen. Um, a few weeks ago, I taught on Daniel. And I talked about Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these guys are standing before King Nebuchadnezzar and they are asked to bow down to the statue. And so I went back to that and I thought, well, would it have been okay for them this one time to bend their knee and to bow down to the statue so that they could live and share about Yahweh to other people? Would it have been okay to bow the knee once in order to save their own lives and to live longer? The answer, of course, is no. Sin is sin, and it was not okay for her to lie. God could have gotten them out of it another way, as we see that God got Daniel's friends out of it a different way. It's, it would not have been okay for them to bend the knee. It would, it's not okay for her to lie in this situation. But it's who she was. I want you to understand that this is part of who Rahab was. This is part of who Rahab is. It came naturally to her. And uh, flip over to James chapter 2. Because one verse that I do not want us to miss as we talk about Rahab comes from James chapter 2. As we think about her character, as we think about her works, we can't miss something that's taking place in Rahab's life. James chapter 2, starting in verse 24. says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messenger's And sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead. So faith apart from works is dead. So Yahweh is working uh, on Rahab's heart. God is doing something in Rahab's heart. And it's evident not only by her faith. Not only by her belief that we're going to read about in a second. But by her actions. The fact that she would lie and risk her way of life. The fact that she would lie uh, and they might even kill her and take her house away. She says, this is worth the cost here. So um, let's look at her faith. We see her character. 
We see her works. Let's look at her faith. Rahab was a sinful woman, but she had an understanding of the word. And she had an understanding of the sovereign will of God. Uh, Let's continue reading in Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 8. It says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There's another, our hearts melted. Go ahead and underline that there. Because I don't think this is a coincidence from when we read in Deuteronomy. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth below, beneath. Rahab had heard what God had done. Uh, as well as everyone else in the city limits of Jericho had heard what God had done. He had heard about the exodus. They had heard about the Red Sea. They had heard about the victory over the two Amorite kings. This may have been a small faith, but it was strong enough that she would risk her life and her, her likelihood from two random people coming in to scout out her city. I mean, when you think about it, she sees the power of Jericho. She sees the big city walls. She lives on the big city wall. Uh, She's seen them have victory after victory over people who try to attack them. She sees the difference in size and stature that they are. And yet something inside of her says, this God is doing something and he can't be stopped. And this is the one true God. Something God is working on her heart. And so she wants uh, the spies' help. Uh, She is trusting that if she helps them, that they will in turn help her. And help her with what? And that brings us uh, to verse 12, where we're going to look at her request. Because she has a request for the two spies. Uh, Starting in verse 12. It says, Now then... Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brother and sisters and all who belong to them. And deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours that when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. 
Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you've let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. So she asked the spies, I have spared your life. I didn't turn you into the king's guard. I hid you. I protected you. And in return, I want you, when your people come and wipe us out, I want you to spare the life of me and my family. Um, So she takes a rope. She lowers the spies down from the wall. She tells them exactly what they need to do. And this takes a little bit of faith on both parts. You know, on one hand, Rahab could say, I'm going to let them go and they're still going to come in and they're going to wipe me and my family out. She had to have a little faith, not only in God, but in the spies. And then, of course, the spies, she tells the spies, here's what you need to do. You need to go hide for three days. And after the three days, those guys that are looking for you will return and then you can be on your way. So to them, they're like, can we trust her? Will she send people straight to us? Will they? Uh, will she sing, send the king's guard to arrest us right where we're sitting there, while we're sitting there camping? What's going to happen? So they make this promise to each other. They make this promise. If you do what I tell you, if everything turns out right, if you don't tell us, if you don't tell anyone the business that we have, We'll, do, we'll deal kindly with you like you have dealt kindly with us. And what faith not only did they have in each other, but in God. Um, but they will trust her as well. So they hide in the hills for three days, knowing that she could have sent men looking for them. And then um, look at Joshua. Flip over a few pages to Joshua chapter 6. Because we're going to look at Rahab's salvation. You can read the entire story of the conquest of Jericho and how they marched around the city. And on the last day, they marched around the city seven times and they blew the horns and they shouted with a loud voice and all of the walls uh, would fall. I guess all the walls but one, right? Because she lived in one and her house is still intact uh, when they rescue her. So, But let's look in chapter 6, verse 22. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young man who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought out all of her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So just as the spies had said, just as Rahab said... Uh, They knew that the defeat was coming. Uh, Their hearts melted before them. Uh, The Israelite army had a very easy victory over Jericho. And it must have been crazy to experience for her uh, as she uh, watched the walls fall. What thoughts may have been going through her brain of a hope that me hanging this string in the window will protect my family. And just as it was promised to her... Uh, Her family was taken out and the city was flattened. 
So Rahab was saved. Um, so let's look at some negatives and positives about Rahab's life. The negative here is Rahab was an immoral woman living in a pagan culture that was devoted to everything that God hates. That was about as good a sentence as I could come up with as to try to paint her in a bad light. She was an immoral woman living in a pagan culture that was devoted to everything that God hates. As the record of her life is concerned, there was no redeeming qualities whatsoever about Rahab's life up to this point uh, as the spies encounter her. Nothing worth saving, nothing that God would look down upon her and say there are these qualities that she seems uh, fit for grace. There's nothing, no redeeming qualities whatsoever in her life. As far as we know, Rahab was a willing participant in her civilization, uh, in everything, in her culture. She was wrapped up in it all. She did everything uh, that they wanted to do. She participated in what her peoples did. Um, but her people had a very long descent uh, into the abyss of moral and spiritual corruption. Uh, and it had been intentional. And now it was irreversible. God's judgment was about to be poured out upon them. And this would have included Rahab. Okay, first book of the Bible. Flip back to Genesis chapter 15. So we're going to look at where this comes from. In Genesis chapter 15, we have God speaking to Abraham. And he's speaking to Abraham about his death. He's speaking to Abraham about what will happen to his people um, after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And he says this, chapter 15, verse 16 says, and they, meaning God's people, shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You know, the Amorites' sin had not, um, they, have not they had not escaped God's notice. He was keeping track of their sin. And during Abraham's time, uh, he told him it was not yet full. It was not yet complete. So the Amorites were warned about this judgment that was coming. And it's sad that they knew this warning of destruction was coming. They knew that this punishment for sin and their lifestyle was coming. And yet for 400 years they did nothing. For 400 years they wasted uh, all of their time. And they did what was right in their own eyes. And like most other pagan cultures and nations... That Israel later encounters, the Amorites stubbornly continued in their sin, and judgment their judgment day had finally come uh, when God was ready in God's own time. So we see even back in Genesis chapter 15, you know, so many times when I would read uh, this, this story about the conquest of Jericho and the, this Israelite army gets to the outside of Jericho and. The people's hearts melted and the people um, were afraid. And you're almost like, you have a pity party there for a second. Well, they're afraid. Why don't you just let them surrender? But that was the point. They've had 400 years to turn 
away from their lifestyle and turn to the one true God, and they have resisted that, and they have turned away from it. So God had noticed it. God had stored up the judgment on them and for 400 years, and their time had come. And God chose this time uh, to, to, to pour out their, his wrath upon them. Uh, secondly, uh, the positive, Rahab is, li- is a living reminder that even the worst of sinners can be redeemed by divine grace through faith. Rahab is a beautiful picture of the transforming power of faith. Although she had few, if any, spiritual advantage, advantages whatsoever, uh, and little of zero knowledge of the truth, of the truth of God, her heart was drawn to Yahweh. Her heart was drawn to the Lord. She risked her life. She turned her back on her people. She turned her back on a lifestyle that did not honor God. She walked away from it along with a few family members. And she, like Ruth, said, Your God will be my God and your people will be my people. She said, This is, this is the time for that. And she made the arrangements for that to happen. And we see that that come to fruition. After this uh, situation happens, uh, after her salvation from the city of Jericho, uh, we never hear Rahab's name mentioned again until we get to the New Testament. So let's turn to the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we know Hebrews chapter 11 as the hall of faith. Okay, Not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. Where Rahab is going to be mentioned. Along with the mentions of people like Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. We're going to see the next person mentioned in that list of people will be Rahab. Hebrews eleven thirty one. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You know, the fact that she would be mentioned with all of these quote-unquote heroes of the faith, that's pretty awesome. But let's check out how Rahab's life points us to Jesus. Because this is the most important thing that she does with her life and how can we look at uh, over and over and over again when Rahab is mentioned as Rahab the prostitute how in the world does that point us to Jesus but let's look at it Matthew chapter 1 Matthew chapter 1 Rahab the prostitute was an ancestor of Jesus was an ancestor of Jesus so Matthew chapter 1 we're going to get Uh, The lineage of Jesus Christ, starting in verse 1. It says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It says, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and, uh, and Zerah by Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nation. Nation, the father of Salmon. 
Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David the king. So Rahab's son was Boaz, who was the father of Obed. And if you remember Landon uh, talking about Ruth a few uh, weeks back, um, Obed will marry Ruth, the Moabite woman. And then Obed uh, will, will have Jesse, and Jesse is the father of King David. So Rahab will be the great-great-grandmother of King David. You think about how could this happen in such a way that a prostitute of the Amorite kingdom, uh, living on the wall, living in total rebellion of God, could come to be an ancestor of Jesus. But that's exactly the point. How amazing is it that God can work in those who we might think are unreachable? Which brings me to my last point. Jesus came on behalf of sinners and identified himself with sinful man. Jesus came on behalf of sinners and he identified himself with sinful man. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This will be our last verse that we read for the night. When we think about Rahab and we think about how she is painted, uh, the picture that is uh, painted, even in Scripture, uh, knowing that she had faith, knowing that her faith led to action, knowing that she was in the ancestry of Jesus, they still continue to call her Rahab the prostitute. Only right there in Matthew chapter 1 is the only place that it does not call her that. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 21 says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And we implore you on behalf of Jesus, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, as I was thinking about this morning, uh, my Facebook feed blew up with uh, Billy Graham stuff. Just every post, which is Billy Graham this, Billy Graham that. And I was thinking about uh, how amazing of a man he was. And like, like Landon was saying earlier, he lived a life above reproach. And no one could really, you can't say anything like Billy Graham, the prostitute. Uh, you know, if someone said that, you're like, you're, you're an idiot. Um, but I thought of the two extremes of Billy Graham on one side and then Rahab on the other side. And you just think about how much different their life is. And yet God chose because they both had the both. But they both had the exact same problem, sin. 
And the, the best cure for both of them was Jesus. And God chose to get a hold of Billy Graham's life. And God chose to get a hold of Rahab's life. Both in different times. Both in different situations. One I think we would look at and go, man, that person was just an outstanding human being. And the other, they would look at and go, man, I just don't know. So when it comes to us sharing the Christ with, sharing Jesus with people, let me read you a quote from John MacArthur about Rahab. I think it's in your notes. It says, Rahab was redeemed not because of any um, meritorious work she did. She did not earn God's favor by any good deeds. Remember, even what she did do right, harboring the spies, was morally tainted because of the way she handled it. She lied. But she is not given to us as an example of the power of human works. She is not a lesson on how to better ourselves through self-improvement. She is a reminder that God in his grace can redeem even the most horrible life. Billy Graham, Rahab, they both needed Jesus. Uh, And I just want to encourage us as we think about people that we encounter, that we may look at and go, uh, they may be beyond God's grace. God can reach down and save anyone. And I just want us to remember that as we continue to make disciples, as we continue to share the gospel with people. No one is above the grace of God, and we just need to um, tell everyone about Jesus. So let me pray for us. God, we love you, and we thank you uh, so much for tonight. We thank you for the story of Rahab, and as we call this series, Heroes. Um, Father, we've come to realize really quick that this is not about anything that any of these people have done, but what you have done through them. God, you chose to use Rahab. You chose to include her in your ancestry. You chose to include her uh, in such a way that you drew a perfect picture of was someone being saved uh, while an, an entire city was wiped out. Lord, you choose to save uh, people around us and people that we should encounter daily. And I pray that you would help us to be a part of your work. Help us to share the gospel. Help us to uh, never look down upon anyone because of their lifestyle. But help us to join you in what you're doing. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.